This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by someone I have not talked basketball with in a few months now, but Michael Pena, uh, just Vice Sports NBA writer. Um, he used to host a Celtics podcast. Are you still doing that? Sparingly, yes. Sparingly, okay. Uh, but he's been all over the place. He's one of the best basketball writers today, and I'm glad uh, that you're gonna give me some time to talk some basketball with you because I am very unqualified to um, get in this kind of discussion with you, Michael. Like you're you're above and beyond where I am these days. I would say that uh, that introduction was far too nice, and you have uh, you set me up with your listeners right now because I don't know how I'm gonna be able to deliver, to deliver after that. Well, here's how you can deliver. You can expand upon a great piece this week in uh, Vice Sports that everybody should go read um, on Kawhi Leonard, who has an assistant coach now, who uh, coached up Kyrie Irving um, to become the ball-handling master that he is now. Um, Kawhi is getting that same kind of coaching, which is terrifying because uh, you're not going to believe this, Michael, but uh, Kawhi Leonard is a better basketball player than Kyrie Irving. And... Him getting another dimension to an already pretty complete game is a pretty terrifying thing, right? Yeah. So uh, just basically, you know, Kawhi's been one of my favorite players for a few years now. And, you know, after the trade to the Toronto Raptors, coming off a season in which he, you know, I think he only played in nine games last year, there was a lot of speculation about how he would kind of respond and, and perform this season. And obviously anyone who's watched the Raptors, uh, you know, Kawhi is, I don't know if he's leading in most uh, unofficial MVP conversations, but he's certainly in the debate with, with some other really great players like LeBron and Giannis. And, uh, you know, from watching him play uh, outside of San Antonio's system, I personally was curious to see, uh, you know, how he would operate in isolation, how he would operate just having the ball in his hands a little bit more uh, than he did when he was with the Spurs and playing with all those Hall of Famers in Greg Popovich's system. And, you know, from watching him 
just my eye test was telling me that, you know, his handle was noticeably better than it, it has been earlier at earlier points in his career. And so I just decided to do a little bit of reporting and then talk to uh, Phil Handy, who is an assistant coach for the Raptors, who spent, uh, you know, uh, years as a player development coach with the Cavaliers and with the Los Angeles Lakers. So he's worked with Kobe, LeBron, Kyrie Irving, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, they spent a lot of time uh, together, Handy and Kawhi, in the offseason working on uh, his ball handling and ways to uh, you know, create shots for himself, create shots for teammates, um, uh, in a, a, a different offensive system, one he is unfamiliar with. And I mean, so far, you know, the numbers have backed it up just how efficient he's been, uh, shooting after multiple dribbles. Uh, he's doing a lot more, uh, with more dribbling than before. And, you know, just again, just from the eye test, it's just, he's more, entertaining. I think it's fair. I mean, that's obviously not uh, an objective thing, but uh, objective statement, but uh, for me, he's way more entertaining to watch this year just because, you know, he'll, I think he's playing with a little bit more freedom to, you know, use counters and uh, you know, when he doesn't initially have an advantage, he'll rescreen and uh, you know, dribble around a little bit more, go between the legs, crossovers behind the back. Uh, his spin move is ferocious. So he's just kind of, he, he was already kind of a, a complete basketball player before the injury last season. And he's kind of built on his game by adding uh, all of these ridiculously entertaining and thrilling dribbling moves to the repertoire. And it's really cool to see. Well, I think it's good for Kawhi Leonard for one, just because it's another dimension, it's going to keep him um, in the MVP conversation for a while. And especially when you're becoming a ball dominant player and you're more comfortable dribbling, it's going to help him <clears throat> just kind of evolve as a player and a playmaker and someone who's not going to get lost um, from possession to possession. But it's like what separates um, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, LeBron types from the Harrison Barnes, Otto Porter, other kind of wings, Torian Prince, whoever is what you're talking about, where it's like he's able to have these counters. He's able to dribble um, all the time. He's able to kind of lead the offense in his own image um, just a bunch more than those guys are because he has the ball in his hands and there's just something more valuable about having the ball in your hands than uh, being a secondary option or just playing off the ball and stuff like that. Those are still valuable. Like Danny Green's still incredibly valuable for the Raptors, but Kawhi is more valuable to Toronto. And I think Nick Nurse and that coaching staff sees that if he is is the lead ball handler and I also thought about when I read your piece was like I remember this conversation um this summer about OG Ananobi mm-hmm. was like they were playing him with they were making sure he was getting opportunities to run um the ball at the floor and dribble more in summer league and you think about that too because that is something that's kind of terrifying because we're already seeing what they're turning Pascal Siakam into um and then you have uh Kawhi Leonard learning how to be the lead ball handler which I think also helps Kyle Lowry because we've seen what kind of toll that takes on him over the course of a full season to be the lead primary option and all that kind of stuff um that he can kind of go in that pseudo Danny Green level where when he goes he scores like zero points like he did the other night um it's not a much of a problem for them because they have a bunch of other ball handlers and playmakers that can kind of help him out as he gets older and tries to um keep things together offensively but 
um, I think it helps everybody, but I was just thinking about OG in that, you know, if he ever becomes a guy they can also rely on at the four or the three or whatever, as someone who could also bring the ball to the court when uh, Kawhi is not feeling it that night or Kawhi's hurt. And they're just like, you know what? We actually have a mini Kawhi. We have our own little guy, uh, OG Ananobi, who would have been a lottery pick if he did not get injured at IU and all that kind of stuff. Is is that something you thought about um, when you were writing this piece of like, oh, this is a thing that the Raptors are doing is like they want their wings not just Kawhi, but like their other young wings and like OG Ananobi to become kind of more comfortable uh, bringing the ball up the floor with the kind of team that they have. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a that's a really good point. And I think over the past few years, just kind of zooming out uh, in the league, we're kind of seeing this as offenses evolve and offensive players evolve and what is valuable changes. You know, a, a few years ago, Two, three years ago, four years ago, you know, the phrase three and D was an archetype that, you know, everybody needed them. They were uh, in, in demand. And, you know, those players are still valuable. You still want guys who can shoot threes. You still want guys who are versatile wing defenders, obviously. But those guys who cannot put the ball on the ground, attack closeouts, uh, as you said, you know, rip it off the glass and go coast to coast with it as, you know, the Raptors hope OG Ananobi is able to do someday consistently. Uh, you know, your value isn't what it can be. And so, you know, teams right now really want guys where, uh, you know, they can put out lineups where there's five guys who can all make plays off the bounce for themselves and, and make plays for their teammates. And so uh, this kind of just, speaks to, you know, Kawhi's development speaks to just an ongoing uh, change in the league where, uh, you know, the value of being able to handle the ball is just getting more and more. Uh, it's in, it's increasing, uh, I should say, every year. And uh, you brought up Ananobi, and I don't think he's there yet, uh, but for sure that's someone who uh, they definitely want him to be uh, someone who can do more than just spot three and guard multiple positions. He's pretty valuable right now, and he's only 21 years old. Excuse me, but someday he's he's you know they want him to be the guy who can run a secondary pick and roll at the bare minimum, and probably do even more than that. So that's that's a really good point by you. But I also and just thinking about like Pascal Siakam, who we haven't really talked about, is just like I think that if we were if we gave Masai Ujiri true serum. His goal would be Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, and OG Ananobi to be this team's core for the next 10 years as these three freakish defenders who can do just about everything in the basketball court. And teams just, like, how do you defend this? Like, kind of being ahead of the curve there a little bit of, like, um, I mean, I know his eyes are on the 15 Joel Embiid's that he said are still um, out there yet to be discovered. Um, but until he finds that next Joel Embiid or, um, his new Bruno Caboclo project, um, I do think I would suspect at least that that that's their plan is OG Janobi, Kawhi Leonard, if they can convince him to stay and Pascal Siakam as their new core of like these three insanely lengthy wings who can dribble, who can drive, who can play make, who can shoot threes, who can get to the line, can do literally whatever they want, and then just have two, three and D guards and Danny Green and Kyle Lowry who just spot up when they are open in the corner or whatever. Like I it it makes a lot of basketball sense and it's very 
forward thinking, and it should come as no surprise that Masai Ujiri is at ahead of the, is ahead of the curve here a little bit. But um, am I giving him too much credit for thinking this far in advance with this, or do you think this is uh, a fair observation? No, I don't. I don't. First of all, I don't think that he would need you need truth theorem to get that answer out of him. <laughs> I think that's okay. So he would just freely admit it. Okay. Yeah. No. I think. Uh, I think that that's that's clearly what is you know, the path of this organization, they, they definitely want to keep Kawhi and, and Pascal and, and to develop OG, uh, you know, at a, at a price point that, that is, is good for them and is team friendly. Uh, I think the one thing I, I would push back a tiny bit that you said is, you know, having Kyle, uh, more as a three and D type of player, um, uh, beside Danny green, I, I think by the time OG, uh, you know, evolves into the point where he's a high usage player, uh, someone who's holding the ball a ton and, and initiating offense, Kyle will be like long gone, <laughs> potentially yeah. retired. But, um, but yeah, if, if the timeline matches up with those three, it's a hell of a core, uh, super athletic, super long switchable, uh, you know, Pascal's three point shooting is I think up at around 35% right now. And so that's, that's an okay mark. You know, that's, I think defenses will in the playoffs. We'll see if they, they continue to leave him alone as they've done in the past, but he's making people pay right now uh, when they do that. And, you know, this team is the, I mean, the best team in basketball right now for a reason. Bet on the Raptors. I, I feel really good, Michael, because we didn't talk this offseason, but I beat the the Raptors and the Bucks are the best teams in the East drum all offseason. I didn't buy the Boston Celtics stuff. And, um, I feel vindicated and I know there's a lot of season to be played. I think the Celtics are on like a five game winning streak right now, but, uh, I'm not wavering in my steadfast belief that, uh, it turns out to have the two best players in the Eastern conference, uh, makes you pretty dangerous and makes you, uh, put you in a position to be a top one and two seed in the East. You're not going to believe that, right? Like that Giannis onto the and Kawhi and a healthy Kawhi Leonard would, uh, <laughs> Uh, play a pivotal role in a team's uh, success. No, right, right you are. Yeah, right you are. Uh, I personally thought the Celtics would be a little bit better than they've been. Uh, it's because we didn't talk this summer. Yeah. I could have, I could have, I, I could have helped is what I'm saying. You maybe could have convinced me. Uh, no, but mm-hmm. the, the Bucks. yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, having the, you know, when you have a, a top five player in the world on your team, that's a, quite the advantage, uh, particularly in a playoff series. So, uh, you know, as you said, there's a, there's a lot of basketball to be played and the Celtics did just beat a team by 56 points. Um, one that is That's true. probably, I was going to say, are we calling them a team anymore? Teams yeah. That, like don't even want to practice at this point and not sure when they're going to show up day to day. I don't know if that's, that qualifies as a team at this point. Yeah. I was about to say that was a, uh, that's a, a unique asterisk type of victory right there. Um, extremely lopsided, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, uh, a lot of basketball to be played. Uh, Raptors look good. Bucks look really good. Um, that Giannis versus Kawhi game the other night was very entertaining and, uh, top of the East is very competitive right now. So I want to talk about a team that has not been very competitive. That is trotting out a lot of guys that, um, I'm not convinced are regular NBA players. There is a Dotson on this team. He shoots a lot of threes. Not sure he's a good basketball player. There's Alonzo Trier, who I like a lot, who's kind of like Jeremy Lin in a sense, where he he I don't understand how he's able to get to the the hoop 
as consistently as he does and he's a pretty good finisher and it doesn't it just doesn't make sense he doesn't look like an athletic enough guy to be able to do what he's able to do um but he's not jeremy lynn Knicks fans but he's he just has these blurs where it reminds him and i watched that nets game the other day and this team it's really interesting how the knicks fan base uh perceives or maybe just like is enthralled by frank nilakina mm-hmm. and his role on this team I've always seen him as a Marcus Smart player, which isn't a detriment because we've seen what Marcus Smart has done to the Celtics this year when he got inserted back into the starting lineup and just how important he a player like that can be a, to a team's identity. And it's just like a winning basketball player. I think that's a real thing. And I think Nilakina is that kind of player, but he's also getting DMP CDs and fans are getting a little... Uh, uh, understandably he's a lottery pick high lottery pick you're kind of worried about where he's going all that kind of stuff but at the same time you gotta kind of it depends on how you perceive somebody like him and what you really think he could be um which is interesting for this team because there's so many guys on this roster that are getting uh heavy rotation minutes that were all like ex lottery guys that teams gave up on pretty early on the process noah vonley mario hazonia um manuel mudier just the list goes on and on and there's Frank Nilakina who's getting like standing ovations <laughs> when he enters the game late uh, in that net series. And I mean, his shot looks better. He hit a three and you could see that it's not as ugly as it was a couple years ago. But I just I don't know. I think it's it's fascinating. What do you make of the instability with uh, Frankie Smokes and the Knicks rotation? And how do you see him developing? And what do you actually see his ceiling as in New York? So. This whole situation is really interesting just because uh, for my money, I don't think this would be a story at all if it wasn't the New York Knicks. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it is he is a lottery pick. Uh, he was drafted to be a franchise point guard, drafted ahead of Dennis Smith Jr. Um, and a few other really talented players. And so in year two, for you to have three straight DNPs. Um, that's pretty. I guess that is pretty noteworthy. But it is a team that is, especially for a team that is, um, you know, they're they're tanking, um, or at least that's the perception. Uh, but when you look at, you know, what David Fisdale, the, the lineups and the players that he's kind of leaned on, you you listed a whole bunch of them. Uh, I I mean, some of those guys are just playing really good basketball right now and he's playing them and a lot of them don't necessarily have uh you know what they're doing right now is more of an audition for the rest of the league i would say than a uh you know trying to play for a long-term position uh with the knicks and so it's a really interesting situation right now that you know, Fisdale's trying to work through. Obviously, this team is is not good, uh, and their goal should be to end the season with a top five pick. That said, they they're competitive in a lot of games that they shouldn't be. Uh, Moutier, in particular, has really shown out, and you kind of look at his age; he's twenty two or twenty three still, and you're like, "Wow, uh, I thought <laughs> thought this guy was." at least mid twenties, late twenties, given just the, the overall, you know, how, how long his name has been around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, talking about Neil Keenan to answer your question, I, I have no idea what he will be. He's 20 years old right now. He's already a hell of a defender. Uh, I think his, 
his intelligence uh, on the offensive end needs to come a long way. Uh, He, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he'll ever be a point guard, uh, which is a little troublesome, but not the end of the world. And the three point shooter, I mean, he he absolutely needs to develop a consistent three point shot if he wants to play meaningful minutes on a good team. And I think he went four for four last night, which is a good sign. And and he's attempting pull-ups with confidence. Uh, so we'll see. He's really young, uh, has a really nice body though. And, um, I wouldn't make too much of the DNPs though. I, I just don't think that it's, it's that big of a deal. And I just wouldn't worry about him. I just, I'm looking at different avenues. I, I maybe it's just the way I look at this team, but most interesting thing with, uh, Frankie Spokes is how he meshes with Mitchell Robinson, who I am a gigantic fan of. I'm a big Jared Allen stand. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I love watching that dude play. That guy just, he's in that Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan, that kind of guy mode. And when you watch him, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I want to sneeze, but I'm not going to do it on this podcast right now. So I'm still getting over a cold. But anyway, um, I'm way more professional than that. I'm not just going to take time to sneeze, Michael. I would never do that to you. Hey, you do so, you, man. <laughs> I have no cough button on my studio. I have a lot of stuff, but no cough button. Um, but yeah, so I think Mitchell Robinson is just someone that I'm more enticed by if I'm a Knicks fan, not Frank. Frankie Smokes. Am I crazy for just being more interested in his development and making sure he's getting a lot of playing time with Chris Tapp's Porzingis being out of the lineup and Enos Kanter getting a lot of run and just seeing, okay, could he be one of our five? Because I really do think Mitchell Robinson checks a lot of boxes for me as to what I'm looking for in today's NBA. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it's necessarily a zero-sum thing, but uh, yeah, Mitchell Robinson is definitely intriguing, uh, particularly as a rim protector. You mentioned a whole bunch of guys who are, are fair comps, I would say. Uh, and I think the key thing here for for Mitchell Robinson is to, you know, stay in his lane. Um, you know, be a rim rolling big, uh, be someone who can hopefully step out and switch a little bit more on the perimeter in addition to, uh, you know, uh, being a really imposing figure on the defensive glass and, uh, you know, the offensive glass with tip backs and that sort of thing. Uh, but if he can be, you know, I personally am not the biggest fan of, uh, bigs like, you know, I, I like Capella. I like DJ from a few years ago when he's a little bit more athletic. And, and even now he's kind of a, an impressive player. Um, Andre Drummond, you know, these centers, um, they definitely have value. Uh, you know, you need size on the glass. You need size, uh, you know, size will never go out of style with regards to rim protection and physical intimidation and and uh, screen setting and all the things that they carry. But you need a lot of different pieces to kind of accentuate that skill set. Uh, you know, I don't think Clint Capella would necessarily have developed the way he has if he didn't have two of the best passers uh, in NBA history on his team feeding him lobs. So, you know, I think Mitchell Robinson will, will eventually need competent point guard play and, and competent ball handlers around him, uh, of which he kind of has right now, actually. I mean, Moutier is pretty decent. Uh, Trey Burke is swimming above his head right now. And so we'll see how he develops. But again, he's, he's like 20 years old, I think. Um, and, yeah. you know, he doesn't have a high usage. He's, 
he's uh, he's kind of staying and, and understanding what he is and what he can be. So, uh, but yeah, he's definitely someone worth being excited about uh, as uh, Chris Desperzingas kind of you know gets his way, recovers as, as from his uh, torn ACL. Or maybe it doesn't matter because Kevin Knox is putting up numbers that most teenagers don't put up every now and then, like he, the 25 and 15 game that he recently had. I mean, Kevin Knox is, I mean, we haven't even talked about him, but I, it, that is the future. It seems like it's I, it's hard to envision a scenario where Mitchell Robinson, Chris Tepsprasigas, and Kevin Knox are on the floor together in crutch time. It's just the spacing doesn't work. But Freight Ilikita, Mitchell Robinson, and Chris Tepsprasigas on the floor together for some stretches. That is a sight to behold because that is a, that's a lot of length and a lot of wingspan. So I want to see that at the very least, just as a basketball nerd. I want to see that for some time. Um, I want to ask you about Trevor Reza because he has popped up a lot recently because it looks like he's not long for Phoenix and James Jones is going to do him a solid or more accurately, potentially do his buddy, um, LeBron James is solid by sending uh, Trevor Reza to Los Angeles. But my first thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, but where does he fit in their five? I don't know how Trevor Reza, I mean, their defense has actually been good, um, especially as of late. Like, they have a lot of capable defenders. Like, I like Lonzo. I like, obviously, LeBron. They just brought in Tyson Chandler. You have um, Kuzma is obviously not a plus defender, but you do have other guys, Josh Hart. I mean, I don't know. Am I crazy for just not really understanding how Trevor Reza fits? And couldn't this potentially harm a lot of their wings and young guys that need to develop? Because Trevor Reza is just, I, I don't know. Maybe Am I overthinking Trevor Reza's place on this roster if he's there? Is he just going to be a KCP rotational replacement? Or I don't know. How do you foresee that fit working out in Los Angeles that that is indeed where Trevor Reza winds up for like the fifth time? He's been on the Lakers, I think, at least three times in <laughs> anyway yeah i mean if if it depends on what you're giving up to get him uh as is the case with most trades and so if if all you're really giving up is i guess what what would it take kcp and uh mike beasley or something like that um yeah i think that that's just a deal that you do (laughs) Uh, i don't know how many minutes uh, Trevor Ariza will play in the regular season, but I think that that's more of a play for the postseason. Where having, I mean, you talk about developing young guys, and they, the Lakers have a ton of those on their roster, and they're, they're, you know, it makes sense to want to see them improve incrementally for the sake of, you know, on court success, but also, you know, as trade assets. Um, for an eventual, uh, you know, the hopeful eventual blockbuster trade that the Lakers have been waiting for. Um, but Trevor Ariza in the playoffs, uh, you know, he's, he seems to be conserving his energy right now in Phoenix. And, uh, you know, whenever I watched them play even earlier in the year, he just, he didn't look even close to the same defensive player that he was, uh, you know, a few months prior uh, with the Houston Rockets, and it, you could just kind of tell he was coasting, and that that he would not last the entire season in Phoenix. So, you know, if you're the Lakers, getting him, having him uh, in a playoff series with LeBron, uh, a little bit more size, a little bit more reliable three point shooting, a little bit more uh, a higher basketball IQ than KCP, I would say, um, and that's someone who's going to be 
you know, on the floor, I would imagine in crunch time too. So it makes sense for the Lakers to try and get him. Uh, we'll see what they have, they have to give up to do it. It's probably not a lot. Uh, and you know, it's just, I mean, personally, just as a, as a basketball fan, I would have liked to see him stay with the Houston Rockets. And, uh, you know, I would, that was a really fun team to watch last season. And, for the sake of having someone be competitive enough to, uh, you know, go toe to toe with the Golden State Warriors as that Rockets team did, uh, it would have been cool to see him kind of ride it out for one more year with them. But uh, I guess here we are because the Rockets are, you know, a little cheap right now. Um, and uh, but they also kind of did him a solid though because they let him go get paid the fifteen million dollars that Phoenix gave him. Wasn't that part of it? They were like, we can't pay you that, so just go get paid and. Who knows? Like it was. Oh well, yeah. Well, well him, yeah. Well, he yeah. was an unrestricted free agent, so he hit the market, right? And yeah, he they couldn't, they didn't want to. No, uh, that's a lot of money, even for one year. For and they just had to pay Chris Paul, and that's part of what happens when you pay and Clint Capella, core guys, and Clint Capella. Yeah, so it's just it's hard to keep a team um, stocked to the cupboards with st- superstars and uh, bench depth. Which brings us to our last thing before before we get out of here. Um, the Houston Rockets don't have a lot of depth. Gary Clark <laughs> is playing a lot of major minutes, and he might be the downfall of Mike D'Antoni's um, psychological health. It seems like any inference to the Rockets' bench issues or anything like that, uh, Mike D'Antoni is talking about Gary Clark without actually saying Gary Clark, um, or Daniel House Jr. and a bunch of other made-up NBA 2K guys that are playing for them sometimes. Thankfully, Michael Carter-Williams is now out of that rotation. But then again, he did, I think, find himself back in very recently. So hopefully that's not a trend that continues. And Eric Gordon, uh, not been very good and it's not having fun. It seems like he's a potential trade target. And I think that makes the most sense. And that would actually um, be kind of one of those things where it's like just this bench guy who just it's not working anymore. We caught lightning in a bottle with him where he was like going seven for 12 from deep every other game. And that was cool for last year, but he's too streaky and we just need more stability in the bench. And if we can turn Eric Gordon into two solid or at least average rotation guys, um, like we have to do it, even if they're not the kind of scorer um, that Eric Gordon is when he's on. Um, I don't know. Am I crazy for thinking that Eric Gordon is their last shot at getting some sort of a non-disastrous bench? um to keep their season alive because i don't if they don't address their bench issues with cp3 definitely being injured in some capacity and james or james harden having to do what he's having to do every night um it doesn't seem sustainable and they're already playing from behind and they're like 11 and 14 as of as of this recording so um i don't know can you can you solve houston's bench problem is it something that can be fixed within or do they have to just resort to something like that or the buyout market how do we solve this michael well, I would say I, I'm a huge Eric Gordon guy. Uh, I love his game. I love his fit on this team. He's just been in like a season long slump. That's really unfortunate. Um, but I, I don't think moving him is the answer because, you know, it's really difficult, especially if you just look at the trade market right now, like the Minnesota Timberwolves got Dario Saric and Robert Covington for Jimmy Butler. So if you're trying to move Eric Gordon, I don't know a place you can let, you can send him where you're going to get back two quality rotation guys that, you know, uh, elevate you to the level of championship contention where the Rockets want to be, if that makes any sense. So, you know, I would keep Gordon. 
who is also under contract, I believe, one more year at a pretty good number for a team that really needs guys under contract at good numbers. Um, so I would keep him. Uh, I think that, you know, Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight, those two names float around for for a logical reason. Uh, you know, they have, well, Knight especially has a big, big number attached to him. Uh, so if you move him uh, in conjunction with another player, another contract who's not really uh, a key part of your rotation and then just kind of throw a bunch of draft picks and go all in on this season, then that's, I think that that is the, I don't know, uh, smart probably isn't the right word, but that's the necessary move that you need to make if you're Daryl Morey. And I don't necessarily know what player out there you could get for that. You know, I've been trying to think of, you know, one player who I think would be really interesting is Aaron Gordon, the Orlando magic. And I've, I've I've wanted to get him on a good team for a long time. Uh, And I, Mm -hmm. I I just don't know if the the Orlando magic would be that interested in taking Knight's contract. Uh, Plus, I mean, the the draft picks would have to be like three and and I don't, (laughs) I, I don't know if if no. if uh, yeah. the Rockets would be willing to do that for a guy like Aaron Gordon, who is untested in the playoffs. So it's a it's a really tricky thing here. You know, I thought that their window for winning a championship was going to be open this season, and I think the bigger issue beyond uh, their depth is just uh, whenever I watch Chris Paul play, he doesn't seem to have it at the level, at the consistent level. Uh, that they need, uh, you know, his numbers are pretty down this year. Uh, they're not terrible, but they're down in some, some meaningful areas. And so, you know, I don't, I mean, he's going to be 34 in a few months and, you know, father time is undefeated. So they need more talent and I don't know how you necessarily get it. Uh, enough to even come close to competing with a team like the Golden State Warriors, which just added, you know, all they did was add Boogie Cousins. So it's, right. it's, who's it, getting a G League assignment, right? Yes. He was set at Cruz or he's practicing with them. Yeah. So he's coming. Draymond comes back tonight. We're recording this on a Monday. Um, yeah. The Warriors, I think it turns out they're going to be okay. That uh, the Warriors issues from a couple weeks ago feel like uh, 15 years ago. Um, the two Aaron Gordon things that always, or the two, pieces for the Rockets that you talked about where you're like, I don't know if they could get the right kind of guys for um, what they need. Um, it's unfortunate the salary cap exists because there has never been a more perfect place for Otto Porter to play basketball than in Houston in 2018, where he can be the fourth option and not matter at all. And no teammates would be mad at him because they're going to win a lot of games and he can just play 36 minutes. And then Mike D'Antoni can go back to his bread and butter of playing like seven guys because then he doesn't have to worry about staggering James Ennis and Gerald Greed and everybody else. It's like, nope, we're going to do PJ Tucker uh, and Otto Porter for almost 40 minutes a night. And that's it. And that, that that's our wing situation for the rest of the year. Um, no, I, unfortunately, I, the salary cap exists and <laughs> Otto Porter makes way too much money and they can't get rid of him. So that's not an option. Um, the other option, which I think makes a lot more sense, and I would probably still bet on this happening, is Kent Bazemore winding up in Houston. I, I don't see him, even though he does have the, the new podcast uh, with The Ringer, winging it with Vince Carter. I could see them both actually winding up in Houston. Maybe that's the thing, is they you're not getting two quality um, 
just rotational pieces for like an Eric Gordon and something else down the stretch. I mean, I'm sure the Hawks would be more than happy to take Brandon Knight's contract. I think they're still paying Mello a little bit this year, so they'll just keep taking in um, some money if the Rockets throw them something interesting like, I, I don't even know at this point, DeAnthony Melton. Who couldn't get excited about that in Atlanta? Um, but yeah, I, I think Kent Bazemore is the one that makes the most logical sense and most realistic to me is Bazemore for Gordon and something else. And um, I think the Hawks would do it. You know, Maybe Deadman and Gordon, I, Deadman and Bazemore, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting to bring his name up because that's the guy who the Houston Rockets went all out for a couple of summers ago when they eventually landed Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson right, in free agency. Right. So they kind of rolled out the red carpet for Kent Bazemore. And, you know, in my opinion, they dodged a humongous bullet. Nothing against Kent Bazemore. But, you know, the money that they were, I mean, he's not on a great contract and the money that they were going to pay him was just you know, astronomical. So, I, I mean, he's, so Kent Bazemore is a really interesting player. You know, he can handle the ball a little bit. Pretty good spot three-point shooter, although this year he's really, I think he's below 30% from deep this season. Um Obviously, you know, a lot know, of it has to do if you watch a lot of those Hawks games, he's just the rotations. He hasn't been able to find a rhythm because he started a little bit. He's coming off the bench. I don't think he really knows his role. He was so conditioned with Bud, like he knew exactly what he was doing every game, it felt like. And now it's just this year, he just feels out of place. And I wonder if that's messed with him a little bit because he just never knows how much he's going to play and what he's going to be responsible. Like, because sometimes he's like, I'm the lead ball handler of the second unit or whatever. Like, it, I think it that's tough on a guy like Baysmore. No, that's that's entirely fair, and it's uh, you know situationally taking him from Atlanta, which is you know arguably the worst team in the league, to the Rockets, which you know they're not doing great, but you know offensively you would get a lot more uh, consistent looks, good looks, open looks, and you know I think his rhythm would be a little bit better as you as you mentioned. Um, that is an interesting. Uh, interesting player uh, if they could get him I, I mean for I mean what I want to see is just Brandon Knight play um, you know he hasn't played basketball in a really long time and he looked okay in his G League uh, appearance uh, about a week ago so you know if I were the Rockets I would just uh, you know be a little bit more patient it's really tough to to do that right now with the type of losses that they've had but I actually just watched the the Dallas Mavericks game from, I think, Saturday night that Luka Doncic kind of... 11 straight. Yeah, and I mean, for those who watch that game, like, the Rockets should have won that. Like, Chris Paul missed two pretty big free throws late. Um, uh, James Harden just uh, kind of botched a few uh, wide-open threes down the stretch. Uh, Luka obviously hit a couple prayers, step-back threes over Clint Capella from like 29 feet. So, I mean, I wouldn't overreact necessarily, um, but this is kind of a season long thing, particularly on the defensive end. So, you know, earlier in the year, I thought that uh, once the Clippers kind of uh, tapered off a little bit, that, that, that Tobias Harris would have been, would have been a perfect uh, target. And now I, I, that's obviously just doesn't seem to be in the cards being that uh, the, the Clippers are good. Um, so, so yeah, yeah it, I struggled of late though. That whole November Player of the Month stuff. Uh, it turns out we should have held our horses on Tobias Harris, yeah. superstar. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he, he's 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 a good player though, and he's good. Yeah, he's good. He's like Kevin Love now. Uh, he was like he's basically like Kevin Love in Cleveland to me when I watched them. Where it's like, oh, this is this is fine. I, I get it. It's a pseudo superstar. Like it's it's fine. Whatever. He, it's fine. Yeah. The thing about Tobias is like. He would just fit so perfectly with how they play and how they how often they want to isolate. He's such a good ISO player; can create his own shot. So, and he, and you just really hate his relationship with Boban. You want to break them up. I do. Yeah, I actually was interviewing Tobias Harris in the locker room when uh, the Clippers were in Brooklyn a few weeks back, mm-hmm. and Boban kept interrupting my interview. So, <laughs> I do want to break it up. Actually, <laughs> I knew there was something more here. Yeah, you, there's always more beneath the surface with uh, Michael Pena. So, Michael, I've taken way too much of your time, sir. Uh, We have to go. But thank you so much for uh, taking the time tonight. We can find you on Twitter at Michael V. Pena, and we can read you at Vice Sports and read the story that we talked about at the top of the show uh, on Kawhi Leonard and his new skill because Kawhi Leonard was not already good enough at basketball. He had to go and get better at something else. So uh, that's nice, right? Kawhi Leonard, better at basketball. I think that's a good thing for all of us. Should have been the headline. Yeah, that hey, I I'm always open to suggestions and stuff <laughs> like that, Michael. If you need me for some good headlines, I got you, man. But anyway, Michael, thank you so much, and uh, let's uh, talk again soon. Yeah, Chase, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Writer. Uh, Thank you for your support, and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.